The Laughter Permitted Podcast is brought to you by Ally. Do it right. Hello to our dope village. It's Julia Gulia alongside me as always. Linio. What up, Lynn? Hi, Julie. Hey, do you remember where we were a year ago this time? Mmm. <laughs> Don't make me cry, Lynn. <laughs> Uh, yes, in fact, because you texted me yesterday with a photo of mm-hmm. us in front of the Eiffel Tower. Yep. And I was like, oh my gosh, the visceral reaction to that photo because mm-hmm. it is such a different life and time. And to have a month in Paris covering the World Cup. I mean, <laughs> who gets that? Yes. You want me to do that again? Yes. You got it. I was able to spend a little bit of time there, but we were in Paris together and yeah, we had a little trip down memory lane looking at some pictures mm. from that time. And if you were to look back over the last 12 months, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone who dominated life more than our next guest. Would mm-hmm. you agree? Agreed. Right? Yes. And that is Megan Rapino. She is a two-time World Cup champion, an Olympic gold medalist. She won the golden boot and golden ball at the 2019 Women's World Cup, which we were just talking about. That's that's actually for best player and top scorer. She was also named FIFA's and Ballon d'Or's Women's World Player of the Year as well. Basically, Lynn, if there was a soccer award, she won it. But (laughs) soccer, as we know, is just a small part of who Megan is. She's an outspoken advocate for women's rights, equal rights, human rights. And of course, we will talk about all of that. So get comfortable listening. It's Megan Rapino. Laughter Permitted is brought to you by Ally. A lot of our listeners know that Lynn and I are customers of Ally, and Ally will tell you that the first step of taking control of your finances is making a baseline budget. They actually have online tools and products to help you do that. So Jules, how do people get started? Thank you for asking, Lynn. You can begin by looking through your statements from the last three months and you identify your basic needs, meaning these can be necessities like gas, rent, groceries, car payments, and then you compare those costs to your overall spending and see if you might be able to save some cash. I love that. Where can we learn more about planning for our futures? It's easy. Go to ally.com. Ally, do it right. Ally Bank, member FDIC. Cliff Bar and Company has been fueling athletes for almost 30 years with their Cliff and Luna Bars, and this is super cool. Even during a time when there are no live sports, Cliff and Luna continue to support female athletes. In fact, right now they're featuring awesome women on their new limited edition Cliff Bar packaging, including soccer star Megan Rapino, tennis legend Venus Williams, surfer Lakey Peterson, skateboarder Jordan Barrett, climber Ashima Shiraishi, and mountain biker Katarina Nash. Check out these awesome new packages for yourself in store or online at cliffbar.com. Kick back, relax, and unwind. Let's have a good time finding the joy in life. We're smiling so bright, talking and laughing combined. Feeling alright, get comfortable listening. It's laughter permitted. What's happening, y'all? What's up, Megan? Hi, Pino. Hello. Are you in Seattle? You're you're back west, right? 
Uh, yeah, I'm in Seattle now. You are? Yeah, we just got back last week. Which, which house do you prefer? Do you have a preference? This one. The, yeah, this one, for sure. Um, oh, really? Is that the one I waved to you f- with Stewie? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you quarantined pretty much in Connecticut, right? Yeah, we, were there. we just got back. Yeah, so we were Damn. there the whole time. I know. It actually was fine. Like, we, you know, we made it work. And I don't know. I mean, it's not like anyone was really going anywhere and doing anything anyway. So and luckily we... We still like each other, so it worked. But yeah, this is—it's nice to to be back out here. All right, let's do this, shall we? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. The first thing we always do, darling, is we set the scene. Tell us where you are, what you're doing. Um, I am currently in Seattle. Um. I don't think I really came out of quarantine, so I still feel like I'm in quarantine and maybe even going further into it now. Um, It is June, what is it, June 25th? June something, yeah. You know, basically month five of uh, pandemic, month one or two of these national uprisings. And yeah, just going with it. I don't know what's going on. This is wild. This I know. Is very, very. I mean, it's obviously unprecedented times, and you know, you read about and you know about like sort of historical, you know, time periods in our life, whether it's a war or you know a, a pandemic like in 1918 or you know civil rights movement or whatever. But you, it's it's so different to live through it because every day you get up and a lot of your life is still the same. You know, you drink mm-hmm. coffee every morning and you eat breakfast and you work out and you, you know, it's sort of everything is different and everything is normal at the same time. Um, so it's quite a time. It's weird, isn't it? Recognizing that we're living through history that we in our kids and we'll be talking about and reflecting on. It's crazy. Yeah. (sighs) All right. Let's, um, let's first, before we get to all that's happening in this country on a lighter note, since it was so recent, you just finished hosting you and Sue and Russell the ESPYs, which you guys crushed, by the way. Thank Lynn you. and I were saying right after it aired, like, oh my gosh, proud moment as ESPN employees to be part of the family because that was two of the best hours of television I think we've done. And so, w- what was that like for you? Give us some dirt, give us some backstories. <laughs> give the dirt. Um... I mean, obviously, you know, honored and, and thrilled and super excited the moment we got the call, which was, you know, before the killing of George Floyd. And it was, you know, much more geared towards, um, I think, even more like a light, um, fun, quarantine type, uh, mm-hmm. you know, get people's minds, uh, I guess, give people a reprieve from COVID for, you know, a couple hours and knowing we don't have a lot of sports, how can we sort of make this fun and entertaining? And then that tone, you know, changed very quickly. Um, and to ESPN's credit, um, I think they they not only knew they had to meet the moment and do it in a really powerful way, um, the, the commitment was there and they wanted to and they, um, you know, were very on board uh, from the beginning. And, and I think that that needed to be done and that needed to be said, that commitment mm-hmm. needed to be 
um, put forth by ESPN, who hasn't always done the right thing, frankly, mm-hmm. um, who, you know, I would say was not very complimentary of Colin and his kneeling and the protests after that, um, you know, the, we could go on with other issues um, and other things mm-hmm. that have happened. But I think that, you know, it, it signaled to me, not only that ESPN is listening and hearing to this moment, but, um, you know, hopefully that will spread more broadly um, to the world and companies and understanding that it is everyone's responsibility, not just to not be racist or not just to not have controversy, but actually to be anti-racist and to be in the fight and to make it your responsibility to, you know, dismantle the system and your responsibility to say the things that need to be said in whatever way. So obviously Mm -hmm. the SBS is a huge platform. Um, You know, it's appointment viewing, um, particularly with no sports and nothing except the news happening all the time uh, on TV. I think that, um, you know, their commitment to, not just talk about the protests and Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all these, um, you know, unfortunate deaths, but to really make it a focus and a, and a point and to give the athletes, um, not just Russell and Sue and I, but to give the athletes a real voice in this and say something yeah. that's really meaningful and really powerful during this time. Yeah. And that's the thing. It wasn't, it didn't feel like, okay, we got to check that box. And from start to finish, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Oh my God, we're still talking about it. Oh my God. I mean, I literally, as I'm watching out loud, um, was super proud. You, you though, Pino, have always been willing to go places others will not, right? A- ahead of the curve. Whether it was kneeling in solidarity with Colin Kaepernick, for example, years ago, you've been challenging the system, challenging people's perceptions, and to that shift you're talking about, right? With ESPN and other companies, we saw U.S. soccer repeal their national anthem policy, which was uh, and had been that you couldn't, that you had to stand for the national anthem. And I know that our president, our new president of U.S. soccer, Cindy Pardo-Cone, former teammate of mine, actually called and apologized to you. What did all of that mean to you? All of that means to me that people are starting to believe what Colin was saying. And they're starting to believe Black people in this country. They're starting to believe the collective experience of Black and brown people in this country, of people of color in this country, when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to you know, the, the killing of unarmed black men and women in this country, when it comes to the terrorizing of communities, when it comes to, you know, just even the, you know, the sort of less violent, the microaggressions and the, um, you know, the sort of offhand comments. I I think Mm -hmm. that people are really starting to connect the dots that like, Mm -hmm. yes, our country was founded on chattel slavery. Yes, that system is still very pervasive in our society. Mm -hmm. Yes, white people benefit from that. Um, And yes, it is our responsibility, not the responsibility of the oppressed people, but our responsibility to work to dismantle that system. And so even in the moment, you know, what was it, four years ago, um, 
when U.S. soccer originally came out with their statement. It, it, it essentially said something to the effect of, you know, all of our players and coaches, um, you know, should should show respect and and uh, stand for the national anthem because it's a time to reflect on all of the liberties that we all possess. And so that in the moment, that, that the only thing it said to me was, you don't believe what mm-hmm. Colin is saying. Because if you did, you mm-hmm. would know that when Colin or someone like Colin or black people or whoever it is, look at the flag, they don't see the respect. Mm-hmm. They don't feel the respect. They don't have all of their liberty. So mm-hmm. I feel like the, you know, the, the, the initial call with Cindy, you know, while I, I personally, you know, it, it's a little bit of a weird position because it, I, I don't want thanks for doing this or I don't need an apology for doing that, but it's just a, an institutional taking of responsibility that's the most important thing because what they were doing to me and it was echoing what the NFL did to Colin was just to try to silence Colin and in effect try to silence black people they were silencing me and then in sort of in effect silencing or working to silence any other player particularly any other black player who would have tried to kneel so if they're going to treat me the way that they did what does that say to to you know ad or crystal or lynn or Kristen press like what does it say to those players Mm -hmm. and so i think that there was a need for taking that responsibility a need for putting your hand up and saying we it was wrong at the time and this is why and we know that and we take responsibility and there's Mm -hmm. nothing that can really take that back but we will work to to do this work in the future. We will work to break this down in the future. And I think, you know, while, uh, you know, I would have loved for them to react differently in the moment and for the NFL to react differently and the whole country to react differently, we do need to allow people to take the first step. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. acknowledging and, you know, recognizing your mistakes and first and foremost, believing black people. If that's your premise, if your foundation is, I believe black people, then we can start to move forward and start to identify the system that we all live in that, um, quite frankly, is not working for most people right now. Part of this shift, too, and there are many reasons, I think, for it, but the one I think that has helped, in particular as it applies to white people, is that there's now a collective movement, right? And it's easier, as we know, to stand up and speak up when their strength in numbers, but you've always done that before the collective has and have been unapologetic about it. What do you attribute that courage to in being ahead of the curve? Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm ahead of the curve for white people. I, I guess I'm not necessarily right. ahead of the curve. For white allies, period. right. Um, I mean, I'm sure part of it's just, you know, my personality. I don't know. Um, I also feel like it is my responsibility. I I really Mm -hmm. do feel like that. I mean, I think growing up on the women's national team and having, as you well know, and there's, you know, threads through me that that went through you and, and the players before you, 
we know what, at least in some part, what discrimination feels like. We know that, you know, just because we are women, we were treated differently, paid differently, resourced differently, looked at differently, marketed differently, um, and less. And so, you know, sort of growing up in that environment of going through CBA negotiations and then, you know, being gay and understanding, you know, at times I've looked at the flag and not had all my rights protected by that flag and had to come out and, and knowing that I've asked people to stand by me and to fight for my rights. Maybe it doesn't affect them, but I've asked that of them. And so, you know, when Colin knelt in 2016, it just seemed like if I just have a personal belief that like everybody has a responsibility to make the world a better place in whatever way they can be most effective. I just happen to have a big platform. I happen to be playing on the women's national team. I happen to be an athlete in a country that glorifies athletes and ask them to be role models and to um, stand up for what's right and to do the right thing. And so for me personally, I, I thought honestly more athletes and more people and um, you know, the country would have, and that, that was very naive of me, I guess, but I thought it was so clear. It seemed so clear to me. We, we, you know, we just went through that summer in 2016. I think it was like five very high profile murders of, of black men at the hands of the police. You know, five police officers in Dallas were shot. Police officers in Louisiana were shot. Um, and so I, I was just like, well, very clearly this is happening. Very clearly I can look back at the history of this country, what we were founded on and, and, and think, yes, this is very understandable how we are here. So what can we do to break that down? Um, I don't know. I mean, what, you know, what, what goes on in me that thinks jump into the fire? I don't know, but I feel like (laughs) I also, I also know that like, if you want something done, you should do it or you should help or you should try. And so I feel like I have a lot of that confidence and experience growing up and maturing just as a human being and as a woman on the, on the women's national team that has given me that sort of streak. You're going to get shit done. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to try at least. I'm like, what do we have to lose? I'm like, I'm already in the you know discriminated group or whatever. So I'm like, whatever, what do I have to lose? Like if you, it's kind of like, if you see something, say something, Yeah, I guess. The, the unflappability though of your approach and the authenticity of your approach, which has always impressed me. Have you always been like that? Like as a little whippersnapper kind of floating through life in terms of just like everything seems to roll off your back. Yeah, no problem. I got this. Um, I mean, I think there is an element to that. I have, you know, unwavering confidence, honestly, whether it's warranted or not. I just, I don't know why I have it, but I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm nearly impossible to embarrass. Um, Where does that come from? Because I actually need some of that in my life. I don't know. I mean, who, who knows? It's, I don't, I don't know if it's earned or whatever. I just, well, why I have it. Uh, I'm not sure. Sometimes it suits me well. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, you need to take a step back. Um, <laughs> no, I don't think, I think I grew into this I mean I think at the essence that the streak is there but I think I did grow into it you know having my experience informed by the women's national team by CVA negotiations by coming out and then in that process you know educating myself and reading a lot and listening to people and Mm -hmm. you know having thought partners and people who challenge me and 
you know, I'm, I'm very close to my family. And so I have this sense of, um, you know, uh, this like very true mirror for me. And they'll always tell me whether I want them to or not, whether it's invited <laughs> or not, it's usually not invited. They will always tell me exactly what they think, and what they feel. So I feel that once I get into the position where I'm, you know, speaking to a big audience, like I'm not worried about what they think because I feel like I already know what I think and what the people who I love think. And also Mm -hmm. speaking for people who don't have a voice, you know, part of this pay equity lawsuit for us, uh, a huge part really is like, yes, of course it's important for us. We are discriminated against. Like we have been underpaid and I think everyone knows that, but like, we also have the ability to get in the New York times anytime we want and to stand as 23 players and to have Alex Morgan be our mouthpiece and to have me be our mouthpiece. And like people who and women who experience pay equity issues don't have that. They don't have Mm -hmm. a voice. It might be an Mm -hmm. undocumented worker. It might be the only woman in the office. It might be the only woman of color in the office or the only black woman in the office. So I just feel like we're all in this world together and like clearly some wild stuff is going on. So (laughs) I just find it more, I would find it more untenable for me not to say something for myself than to say something. If the, um, and I rewind to the moment that all of, all of this intersected and you could see this unflappability in full form and full display. I, I think of the quarterfinal in France at the world cup. All three of us actually were there. I'm covering it. Lynn was there as a fan. You're of course playing in the game and that game in Paris, the stadium is so loud. There's an incredible atmosphere, all French, right? Which was amazing given how many Americans actually traveled over there. But in the middle of that, you're the president of the United States is tweeting at you, right, to walk the walk. You've got all of the noise about the equal pay lawsuit. And in that moment, you just take over the game. Early in the game, too. I mean, what, what is that mindset as you're preparing for that match? I mean, I really do like love the biggest moments. They're just the (laughs) most fun. And Julie, I mean, you can, you can attest to this, I'm sure. And, you know, playing at the Rose Bowl in front of 90,000 will be better than playing anywhere with less people. (laughs) It's just like, it's Mm -hmm. just better. How fun is it? uh, It's insane. I mean, for me, I, I view myself um, as an entertainer first athlete closely second behind that but like sports is entertainment right so it's like you might as well have fun with it you work I don't like do all this you know training on my own when no one's watching and frankly no one cares and it's miserable and I don't want to be doing it to get to the biggest moment to like not enjoy it I'm like the only reason I'm doing all this (laughs) is so I can get (laughs) so you know First and foremost, it's like you're in the World Cup, right? You're you're in the World Cup. This is this is amazing. You get to play in the game everyone circled on their calendars. You get to play the French who desperately want to beat you. But deep down, do they really think they can? And that's no. the feeling I always have about the French <laughs> and even the French fans. Like yeah, even, exactly. you know, standing there for the French national anthem and, you know, just it chills like, yeah. you know, chills because just 
so much pride and so much excitement in that building and you know them wanting to beat the americans so bad but i think there's also a deep sense of respect for our team and I've always had a sneaking suspicion the French like me a lot more than they let on. <laughs> and so there was like a little bit of that going on. Um, but really just the whole tournament. I mean, we saw it from, you know, the very first game against, you know, Thailand. And it was actually the perfect thing that could have happened with all the criticism. And we had tried to kind of tell the team before, like, listen, the media, first of all, is your friend, by the way. Like, the media is great. I, you know, it's like, Thank you need you. the media. You want the media. <laughs> Now you be aware of that wall. You need me on that wall. Exactly. So it's like, you know, understand of course what they're there for and what you want to get out of it. But as long as everybody understands what, what's going on, I think it's it's mutually beneficial. We want to grow the sport, whatever. So we've been trying to tell people, like, listen, the media's job is to, you know, cover the World Cup every single day. We only play once every five days. We're gonna be the most covered team. And so they're they want stories. Like, of course. Like that's that's great you know you want there to be interest drummed up sometimes it's like gossipy sometimes it's on the field like all of it you know for the most part I think is like pretty good so all this attention but I think that was the perfect thing to happen first because it like it like clicked in with the team of like okay this is what it's gonna be like and so Mm. you know when the Trump tweets or I guess rather when the video surfaced and the Trump tweets followed it didn't it didn't know. I don't think anyone had, I mean, I'm sure Aaron Heifetz, our media officer had like a, Oh my God, sort of feeling, (laughs) but none of us did. I never had that like, like gut sense of like dread. I never had that. I don't think anyone on the team had that. We had this sort of like, this is insane. This is wild. Like, first of all, I mean, you can't put any more pressure on us than we put on ourselves. And that's already on us and that we've already heaped on ourselves. So then, like, to have the president, I guess that's probably the only person that could have put more pressure on, but it did just feel like, like, what are you even doing? You're basically rooting against us and heaping pressure on us on foreign soil when, like, all you do is talk about America, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so it, it just felt a special moment, and it felt like – it actually felt freeing for some, mm. for some reason. It didn't feel, like, more pressure. It felt like the world was with us. It felt like – the people were with us. It felt like a movement was with us. The World Cup was, I mean, you guys know, it's hard to explain, but there was something so much more than soccer going on during the World Cup. It was as if all the teams were on the same team, even though we were playing against each other. There just felt a collective mm-hmm. experience with the fans and like something very special. So, I mean, it was wild. And of course, being able to clap back in like, the loudest way possible. (laughs) I'm a petty Betty and I try not, I try not to publicly do that because then you get into spats and, you know, I try not to go back at people on Twitter, but to be able to clap back as loud as I did and as loud as we did as a team, the petty Betty in me was bursting with just joy. Absolute joy. Cliff Bar and Company is the family and employee-owned maker of Cliff Bars, Cliff Kid, and Luna Bars. And I, for one, am currently obsessed with a caramel toffee with sea salt Cliff Bar. And good news, party people, they would like to extend an offer to all of you in our dope village. 
Yes, from now until July 28th, you can visit cliffbar.com slash laughter, C-L-I-F-B-A-R.com slash laughter, and use the code CLIFFLAUGH to get 20% off their entire portfolio of products. Go check it out. Laughter Permitted is brought to you by Ally. A lot of our listeners know already that Lynn and I are customers of Ally, and I love that Ally has the smart savings tools I need to analyze my spending and save for the things that matter most, like more donuts, or perhaps getting the kids to college one day, which would be really nice. Being able to prioritize my financial goals and save automatically makes it easier to plan for that future. Learn how Ally can help you save more at ally.com slash savings. Ally, do it right. Ally Bank, member FDIC. Julie and I took a vote. And we have decided that you and Sue officially crush quarantine better than <laughs> anyone else. Crushed it. And we were wondering, though, um, what did you learn about not only yourself, but about your relationship during quarantine? You know, it, it's more like things have just been like reaffirmed or solidified. Mm. Um, I talk really loud apparently. Um, I am considerably less naturally considerate than Sue, which probably also is not a shock to people. Um, We actually really do like each other and are very compatible and get along. Um, We're we're both homebodies in a lot of ways. Um, And like that time, I think we both kind of like recharge at home together, which is really nice. Um, normally we're, you know, traveling all around and it's crazy. And so of course we enjoy our time at home, but I think, you know, particularly this last year has been hard in a lot of ways, not just because we've been away from each other so much, but we've had a lot going on and there's, you know, an Mm. increased attention and, you know, our, you know, my life and our life together and her life, it all changed very quickly. And so, you know, to have, to have a time where the only thing you can do is just sit and be together. Um, We feel very thankful for, and we're, you know, very lucky to have that opportunity. And it was, you know, the best thing we could do for the country was to just sit and stay in our homes. And I think with that, you know, prior to the protests, obviously just, just talking about COVID and quarantine, you know, we kind of found a little space with, you know, a touch more that we were doing on Instagram live of two, to just bring a little joy, I think, to people's lives and to, mm-hmm. you know, to have a bit of a reprieve, um, which I think was important um, during COVID, you know, because it, it just was such a stressful and unknown time. And obviously, we've, you know, pivoted to a much more serious tone and different things that we're doing now with um, with the protests around um, police brutality and that um, and the killing of George Floyd. But it was it was kind of like very early on we knew it was going to be a long time. We took it very seriously. Um, and we kind of wrapped our heads around like, okay, we're not going back to any normal anytime soon. And there is no normal to go back to. I mean, the the world will be changed forever Mm -hmm. because of this. And so how do we then, you know, find ways to kind of shift with this new world or be creative in a new space or, um, just not drive ourselves nuts constantly wanting to go back to the way things were, even with yeah. our workouts. I mean, obviously 
you know, we were preparing for the Olympics. And so to, to have such a specific mindset and goal of what you were doing be completely taken away, like that mm-hmm. could have driven you nuts. But it's like, I didn't have a field to train on. Mm-hmm. I was in Connecticut. So every park, every school, every private school, every play field, every patch of grass, every beach, everything was closed. Like literally the streets were the only thing open. So, you know, to drive myself nuts trying to get the exact same training or to sue to get the exact same training, like it's impossible. So how do we sort of readjust into this new world and, you know, to be able to have each other to do that, it was really nice. Did you ever have a moment with that delay, that Olympic delay and all that you're doing? I mean, you're, you're hosting, you're like a talk show host. You're hosting the Bidens. You have AOC on. I mean, you had <laughs> Gov- Governor Gavin Newsom. I was like, who is next with Megan? Yeah. But did you ever have that moment of, hmm, this might be a nice way to end things, right? You won a World Cup. You have to train now a full another year if the Olympics even yeah. happen. What keeps pulling you back to the sport? I mean... You know, it's interesting right now. I I actually feel like I I have no idea. I think it's still just there. So, you know, there's no decision really to be made one way or the other. Um, I've definitely thought, like, is this it? Because who knows if the Olympics will happen next year? Right. Who knows if we'll play another national team this year, uh, a national team game? Likely not because no one wants to come here and we're not probably going to be allowed to go anywhere else. Right. Right. Um, you know, I mean, for, for both soon, I was like, I don't know. It was like, if we don't get a vaccine for three years, we're not going to be playing sports. So I think there is that element. And again, kind of what I was saying before, like, I don't know. And it's so uncertain that I'm not putting a lot of time and energy into that. I would probably go absolutely nuts thinking about that. I still want to play. I still feel really energized. I'm, I'm hoping that the Olympics can happen next year. Um, it'll be amazing if it does, because that likely means we have a vaccine or some sort of drug therapy. Um, but it's like, in the absence of it being a possibility, I, I am kind of focusing on other things and putting my energy somewhere. And I, I am really enjoying that. I've, I've always felt you know, my passions go far beyond soccer and into other things. And so you know, being frankly, really, really grateful to have this time to try out other things and to do different things and to be able to have that opportunity because I don't have soccer right now. So when soccer, you know, gears back up, I'll be right back in there. Hopefully this layoff doesn't just absolutely (laughs) take me out of it. (laughs) Who knows? But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's just so unknown. Are you in Sue training? Like it's, it's going to happen. I mean, how do you how do you keep that mentality going forward with all the uncertainty? Mm-hmm. Because there also I mean, is too. When I was playing, you know, you talked about just that that addiction to that type of atmosphere that you saw in mm-hmm. France, for example, and how we saw in the Rose Bowl. Like, there's something to that. Like, I got bored with if it wasn't ninety thousand people and everything was on the line. I don't want to play this game. Yeah, that's why I yeah, got yeah. out. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, for me personally, you know, I opted out of playing in the Challenge Cup. Um, You know, physically, I felt it was an enormous risk considering the time I had off and the short run up to the season um, or to the tournament. And then, you know, from a from a health and safety perspective, I wasn't comfortable with the protocol. So I'm sort of in this 
place of like, keep myself at a baseline level Mm -hmm. that if I needed to ramp up, I'm, I'm ready to step into a two month preseason basically Mm -hmm. um, to try to, to get myself back. I mean, I think just staying healthy and working out is good for you and helps with your mental health and your physical health and all of that. Um, Sue is actually preparing, you know, to go into um, a bubble type situation um, with the WNBA. So she's had to ramp up her training a lot more, which means I'm uh, doing a lot more rebounding and, <laughs> and trying to, <laughs> to um, simulate live basketball, which I'm really not all that good at, but I try. Um, so her situation is a little bit different, but, you know, just trying to keep myself at a baseline to where if it is, you know, if I do feel it's, it's safe and we're ready to get back into things, um, mm-hmm. then I'll be ready to do that. But it, I mean, frankly, I'm going to need a long, a long right. run up into it, whatever it is with the amount of time that we've had off. Yeah. Well, and that's going to be for everyone, honestly, right? That's, yeah. That's the reality yeah. of what we're living in. Definitely. Of all the options, what do you see yourself doing when you are done playing? What is the next iteration of Megan yeah. Rapino? Um. Oh gosh. Um. <laughs> I mean, clearly, I I uh, like media and like to be like attention and like <laughs> like talking and like all those things. Um, I think it's probably something in that in that realm. Um, you know, I I am very interested and passionate about politics in the sense of. I think politics is made to feel very overwhelming and like if you aren't a congressperson or dedicating your entire life to politics, then like you aren't doing enough. But my take and and what I think is the reality is that politics is engaging with you, whether you're engaging with it or not. So for the average person, like, you know, a a lot of people say like, Oh, I don't want to get into politics. I'm like, well, if you drive on a road or hit a stop sign or, you know, call 911 or the fire department or live in an area that has a school or, you know, a hospital, like this is all politics. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I feel like trying to bring politics, like make it cool, I guess, or more relatable. I think that's why I was so interested in having those conversations with um, AOC and with uh, governor Newsom and um, with Biden was, was to try to, I guess, bring politics to a different subset of people um, that don't normally engage that much. And I I think that there's kind of a misconception that, like I said, if you don't sort of commit your whole life to it, then what's the point? But I think there is a point. Like all these, you know, your your local elections matter. Your, you know, your state elections Mm -hmm. matter, all of that. So maybe kind of like a cross-cultural, you know, sports culture uh, you know, even like music, fashion, politics, like all of that stuff intersects with us every day. I think it's just, you know, sometimes people silo it out. And I don't think that um, people feel that they can or that their voices will be heard if they if they get involved. But I think we're seeing now that it really is everybody's responsibility. And like we had all these people in the streets protesting, using their voice and the people's voices being heard. Frankly, we're already seeing movement. Um, on certain policy, whether it's bans on chokeholds or, um, you know, different policies being passed. So I, I hope people are energized in this moment to to think like we can we can reimagine this country that we live in to make it better for everyone. So bringing politics to the people, but not actually doing politics. Oh, doing politics sounds like a lot. Right? <laughs> I don't know if I need that. Kissing babies, shaking hands, shaking babies. can't shake hands, bumping elbows, can't I guess hands. now. 
Yeah. Um, not for now. I mean, I, I don't want to totally, exhausting. Yeah, I don't want to totally close the door on on anything really, but um, I don't know if that's where I'm best suited. I think there's been a, 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 you know, I think with President Trump, everyone's like, oh, anybody can be president. I'm like, no, actually, we have seen firsthand that when you're not qualified <laughs> for president, you do a horrible job running the country, and it actually has real life grave effects for the right. entire country. We're seeing that now. So I, I think I should, you know, and we all should probably leave the, leave the politics to people who are, you know, really talented at it. And that doesn't mean that you have to be a career politician and be, you know, old and have all these degrees. I think we're seeing like with AOC, like she's, she's just kind of a, a normal woman and like, but clearly she has a knack for politics and is very talented in her work in it. Well, I can't see what that next that next phase brings, Pino. It's it's going to be a great one, whatever it is. We know that. I hope so. Are you ready for the game of all games? There are not yes. eighty thousand fans screaming at you, but it will feel almost like that. <laughs> oh, Lynn Lord. brings a game for every podcast. Did you bring your squeaky toy, Pino? I don't have a squeaky toy, but I have like a like a thing I can kind of like bang. Any type of noise works. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I brought. Can you see it? Oh, uh, whoopee. Mm-hmm. Nice. I guess I could just make a sound. Um, because... That would be a first. Someone making the sound themselves. <laughs> Here are the rules to the game. Megan, every podcast we do play a game between the guest and Julie. There's always a different theme. Uh, it's five question trivia game. All of the questions are multiple choice. If you think you know the answer at any point, you can make a noise to squeak or chime or whatever it is to say your answer. The theme Wait, of this, all the all these questions are multiple choice. All of them are multiple choice. Oh, okay, that's not always the case. Yeah. So I wanted to make it clear up front. Julie's a little bitter. She came off of um, uh, getting her butt kicked by Jackie Joyner Kersey last week. So she's really <laughs> Pino this week. Pino, I didn't even get a squeak in. I had my donut squeaker. That's why I switched to the whoopee cushion. I'm getting in this week. Not even a squeak. The theme no, of this game is by the number. Since both of you have a lot of experience with the U.S. Women's National Team, we are going to see how much you are paying attention to players' numbers. Oh, crap. I don't even know my own numbers. Oh, yeah. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> Question one. Crystal Dunn currently wears number 19. Which of these numbers has she not worn? Oh. A, number 25, B, number 16, or C, number 10? C. Correct. Come on! I even whoopied in! Jules, you're going to have to be quick this game. Damn it. Your, your delay might be getting you. Okay, okay. Number two, who has made the most World Cup appearances wearing number 14? Was it A, Shannon Box, B, Joy Fawcett, or C, Christine Lilly? Julie. Joy Fawcett. Correct. Yes! Boom! Lil was never 14, by the way. That was a nice one. Was she 14? She was never 14. Good try, Lynn. Good try. One, one. Wait, I got to whip you up. Number three, which of these players has not worn number 11, also known as double number one? Is it A, Mallory Pugh, B, Carly Lloyd, 
or C, Alex Morgan? C. Correct. Oh! <laughs> Carly Lloyd wore number 11? How did she you did. know that? Yeah, for a long time. Before Until, she was 10? Yeah, who had 10? Allie, maybe? Oh, man. I think Allie Wagner had it for a long time. Okay. Yeah, and then Carly took it over. I know, she wore it for a minute. I know Pew wore it for a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I had a feeling that was gonna th- one was going to throw you off, Jules. All right, two to one right now. Megan, if you get this, you get the game. Number four, what two numbers have women's national team goalkeepers worn the most? <laughs> Julie. One. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to wait. I was too hesitant last week. That's what I learned. Extract sure. the lesson. Uh, one and 18. Correct. Oh, boom. Good one. Two to good two. One. It all comes down move. to this. Number five, name three players who have worn number nine in World Cups. Is it A, Mia Hamm? Abby Wambach and Ashlyn Harris, B, Mia Hamm, Heather O'Reilly, and Lindsay Horan, or C, Mia Hamm, <clears throat> B. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> By the way, Megan, you do, you do an outstanding buzzer. Yeah, that was, I was like, <laughs> The game Wait, who goes... Is C? Who is C? Yeah, who is C? Um... Mia Hamm, Amy Rodriguez, and Lindsay Horan. Oh, I was trying to throw a good one off. too. Well Shoot. done, Megan. Yeah, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yes. Little clap for Pino. Most pressing questions. Are you ready? Yes. Someone's got a book coming out in November. Congratulations. <sighs> the title does. is for people who don't know our dope village. One life. What is the title named after besides your one life? Where did you come up with that? Um, it was um, a, kind of a, a process with editor and, and uh, the writer that I worked with. Um, but yeah, we, we sort of went back and forth a lot on how to try to capture sort of the moment and how, how to capture me and sort of, you know, what I'm all about. And, and it's actually a poem. I'll have to, um, it came from a poem and now I can't remember um, who wrote it, which is embarrassing. Uh, but it's sort of riffing on the idea of like, you know, you have this one precious life. And mm. I think, you know, I say this a lot that I really do believe everybody has a personal responsibility to make the world a better place in whatever way they can be most impactful. And I think the one thing that everybody has is like their own life. Like everybody gets one life to live and that's, that's all you have. So like, what, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to treat that life? What's going to be your priority? And Mm. I think for me, I feel so lucky and so privileged and, you know, have had incredible opportunity to, you know, not only just live my dream, but to, you know, travel the world and to meet incredible people and to be, you know, a part of this team that has such an incredible platform to literally change the world. I think that, you know, I I think about the history of this team and 
I feel that this team has always, you know, of course we want to win everything. That's obviously the goal. But this team has always had a deep commitment to making the world a better place Mm -hmm. for honestly as many people as we possibly can. And so I feel very lucky to be living this life. And this is the only one that, you know, I'm not really a religious person at all. And um, I, you know, this is the only life that I'm going to have. I'm not going to get a redo at this. So, you know, how do I use this life and, and all the things that I'm afforded in it to, yeah, hopefully, you know, leave, leave my sport, leave this world, leave my family, leave everything in a better place than when I, when I came in. That's awesome. Yeah. That is so great. Congratulations. It's not easy writing a book. I know as a very important author myself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard. It'll bring you to your knees. Yeah. (laughs) It comes out November. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Mid to late November. Second question. Will you ever go back to blonde? Oh yeah, definitely. As soon as possible. <laughs> um, well, maybe not blonde, but definitely pink. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm like, you know, this hair. I mean, you can see it on the Zoom right now. People can't see it listening, but um, yeah, it's just, it's fine. I, it's like my mom's actually like, oh, I kind of like it, and I'm just like, it's really not for me. It's just like, <laughs> I need, I need more color up here. So pink. Was yeah, it a purple hue or a pink hue at the World Cup? I thought it was, it was sort of both. It was okay. like it kind of started pink and then it sort of went purple. It was more purple by the end. Mm. All yeah. right. We talked about equal pay a little bit, Megan. Luna Bar, mm-hmm. before the World Cup, um, did the incredible move of stepping up to pay you women over 31000 each. And that was to make your World Cup roster bonus equal to the men's. You then went on to sign a sponsorship deal with them. How is it to be on a Cliff Bar package? And what is your <laughs> most pressing? What is your favorite flavor? Oh, the, cho- the chocolate chip is solid. It, you can't go wrong with it with a good chocolate chip. Um, I'm going I'm mean, to disagree. I'm going with a coconut dipped chocolate. Oh, I actually do like that one a lot. I do love me some coconut. Um, yeah, I mean it's you know to you know, talk about being ahead of the game. Um, you know, Luna bar has been so supportive. Um, the whole company cliff bar, um, you know, the two owners are incredible and, and you can tell that that sort of culture trickles on down through the entire organization. Um, you know, those are, those are the kinds of things I'm talking about when I say everybody has a responsibility. So as a company, like, they're not going to quit their whole company and, and become an activist company, right? Like, no, they, they have a company and we need that company to continue to run. They're very, you know, successful in their space and provide these amazing products, but you can do something. So what can they do with their voice? What can they do with the mm-hmm. capital they have or, um, you know, the reach or the influence that they have within, within sports? They can support in that way. And that's like, that's sort of what is so impressive about them is that they did it very early and mm-hmm. you can just tell like they didn't need to pivot into an equal pay um, narrative because that is who they are. They didn't need to pivot into, um, you know, supporting women or supporting females because that's like at their core who they are. It reminds me of a Ben and Jerry's who clearly they're an ice cream company and they make ice, you know, awesome ice cream and everyone loves them. They also have a deep seated commitment to racial justice. And so mm-hmm. you can do both. And I think that's, you know, a really 
amazing example for companies to look at and in Lunabar in Cliff Bar is like how do you still have your business but have a commitment to the people who work for you and to the people who you serve and to the athletes who are eating your bars or to the athletes that you sponsor and so for me to have you know all of those things kind of come together mm-hmm. um, I've always felt and I said this earlier I've always felt that you know my interests go far beyond what I do on the soccer field. And I think as, as I look at myself as a whole person, I look at companies as whole people and like, yes, okay, you might be in the Luna bar lane or you might be making bars, but how can you also help to make the world a better place with, um, with the success of your company? So, you know, it's, it's amazing to be a part of a company like that, that supports not only me, but just female athletes in general in, in the robust way that they do. Yeah. And, uh, and authentically. So it is very authentic it is yeah. part of their, their fabric for sure. It's, it's who they are a hundred percent. Where are you most at peace? Mm. Anywhere with Sue, really. I mean, we, <laughs> we travel a lot and, you know, there's a lot of different places I think we can consider home, but she's really home for me. Oh, Touching my little heart right there. My lover. (laughs) All right. Our last segment we do, Megan, is called High Low Cheer. I do it around the dinner table with my cute munchkins. Uh, We do their high of the day, their low of the day, and someone they cheer for. You are going to do your high of your career, low of your career, and your cheer is for someone you are grateful for. Um. Wow. High and low. Um, Low would probably be in 2016, the Olympics. That was a a really Mm -hmm. difficult time for me personally and for the team. And um, yeah, it just was not, it was, it was, it was not great. I think we all learned a lot from it and I'm probably thankful for that experience. I think it strengthened all of us, but that was a a very challenging and, and very difficult time. So that's the low, the high, um, yeah, I mean, this past summer was just incredible being, you know, on the podium when Harley gets the trophy and lifts it up and we all celebrate together. That's really the most incredible moment to, you know, to be a part of that. And that's like the collective moment that you all get to share mm-hmm. together, um, was just incredible. Um, it's so difficult to win a world cup. It's so difficult to even go to the tournament and be there the whole time. And, um, you know, with all the pressure we have on us and put on ourselves and all of that, um, it, it was just incredibly rewarding in so many different ways. Um, a cheer. Ooh, I'm grateful for, um, right now I'm really grateful for all of the organizers and activists and, you know, people in Black Lives Matter movement who really have been doing so much work, so much work that, you know, they've not been thanked for and not even been listened to until now. And they really have, you know, given the country an opportunity to remake this world in a better way. And I think they they probably will never get all of the credit that they deserve Um, but I think we should all be very thankful Mm. for them doing this work to put us in a position where, you know, we have a template and we have, um, a really, really amazing 
you know, groundwork and foundation laid that at the heart of it is respect and equality for all people. So I'm very thankful for, for all the organizers and activists out there. Oh, and can we finally get somewhere with that? That would be so yeah. fantastic, right? In yeah, this moment. Definitely. Thanks for being you. Thanks for being courageously you. I love everything you do, Megan, and your voice and your authenticity and your ability to just cut through to the issue and say it with a smile on your face. You're a gem, mm-hmm. my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. This is wonderful. Ah, so good to catch up with her. Takeaways, Lynn. Do you want me to go first? Sure. I love that Megan is a living example of speaking your truth. Mm. And she's a great reminder to stop worrying about how people will perceive you. Stop worrying about how it will play out with different segments of society. Just be true to your beliefs and be secure that when they come from your core, trust that. Mm. And especially to never be silent when fighting for justice and equality and basic human decency. That is my takeaway with Megan. And she always is a great reminder of that. Well, that is a strong takeaway. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. So my takeaway is that something Megan brought up several times during the interview was the impact the national team has had on her life. And I'm guessing that is something that you can very much relate to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it was a great example that something all of us need to do in life is surround ourselves with awesome people and people that will lift us up. Yeah. And give you the courage to speak up, mm-hmm. right? And, sure. and speak your truth, to my point earlier. There is something else I would like to bring up. Mm. A second takeaway. Look at you getting aggressive on one of the final episodes. <laughs> I was so proud of you during the game, particularly in the on the goalkeeper question, where you just like got in there. <laughs> and there's a moment I loved. It was really subtle where you go... Extract the lesson. <laughs> yep. And learned. <laughs> learned from my Jackie Joyner cursy ass whooping. <laughs> and I had texted you that I loved that little moment where you said extract the lesson and it turns out that it came from somewhere. Yeah, I said, I wrote back to you, hackerism. Mm-hmm. Again, Colleen Hacker passing on her wisdom. She used to always say that. Mm. It's not about losing. It's about extracting the lesson when you Mm -hmm. lose. Yeah. So my lesson learned from Jackie Joyner, (laughs) Kersey's game was do not hesitate. Right? I hesitated and I lost. So I jumped in early on that one. (laughs) That might be my favorite moment out of any game we've ever done. I really, I was proud of you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. We're always growing. We are. <laughs> Questions permitted. Yes. What do we got? This question comes from, I hope I don't butcher this person's last name, at Lynn Ozui. Um, <laughs> I was like, wow, that sounds like your last name. Huh. This question comes from me. I couldn't okay. help myself. Both <laughs> you and Megan in this episode, talked about playing in front of huge crowds. So for someone like me who hasn't, I'd like to live vicariously through that experience. Can you please explain what that's really like? Mm. 
and I know we talked about it in the episode with Megan, but that crowd at that par- that stadium in Paris, I was going to say Parisian stadium, that Parisian stadium was insane. I have been to a lot of World Cups, men and women's, a lot of big games, Olympic games. I have never heard a crowd like that before. It was it was just palpable. I loved it. Um, at how it is to play in front of that, there's mm-hmm. nothing like it. It really mm-hmm. is this this incredible addiction in terms of I don't want this to end. Hmm. I um, and almost an emotional reaction. I remember at the Rose Bowl, and especially given that you know no one thought we could pull that off. Ninety thousand right. in the Rose Bowl, mm-hmm. and um, and we had said yeah we can it you you get emotional thinking about it in that moment so you have to almost separate from it because i i remember the blue angels were flying over (laughs) with the national anthem and um i think the hansen brothers were singing the national anthem and getting teary and going oh my god you can't lose it right before the game's gonna start get yourself together Mm -hmm. pull it together woman so it really is something special good one lynn (laughs) And based on what Megan talked about with the national team and her experiences and and what you experience, it seems like when you go through something like that and you succeed, that it then informs every other part of your life. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. You can conquer anything after you've done that, right? Yeah. That's why it's fun hanging around you because I kind of just, through osmosis, kind of gleam that. (laughs) (laughs) and with that we will close out the show be sure to hit us up on social media and share the podcast to spread the stories of all these amazing women thank you to our sponsors ally bank and cliff bar and company for supporting laughter permitted and our dope village and thank you to kate diaz a julie fatty sports leadership academy alum for our incredible theme music Last but not least, as always, kids, remember, sing it with us. Laughter Laughter permitted. The petty Betty in me was bursting with (laughs) just joy. 30 for 30 podcasts in association with ESPNW presents Heavy Metals Inside the Caroli Gymnastics Empire, a multi-part podcast series that takes a sweeping look at the influence of legendary USA Gymnastics coaches, Bella and Marta Caroli, and the hidden culture of fear and intimidation at their Caroli Ranch. Exposed to the world during the 2016 Larry Nasser scandal, the podcast takes a hard look at what can happen when athletes aren't protected. 30 for 30 podcasts and ESPNW's Heavy Metals Inside the Caroli Gymnastics Empire launches July 14th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Soccer is back on ESPN+. Plus. Yes, indeed. Serie A, FA Cup, MLS, and much more. Plus, get original series, exclusive studio shows, and the complete 30 for 30 library. Stream soccer from the best leagues and tournaments around the world, all in HD, all on your favorite devices. The beautiful game lives on ESPN+. Plus. Sign up today at ESPNplus.com or in the ESPN app.